Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. Today, I'm speaking with Anjali Desai. Anjali is Foley's attorney coach. Or to put it another way, Anjali is an in-house executive coach for Foley and Lardner attorneys. I am so happy to have gotten her to be on the show because before Anjali became an executive coach, she was a practicing lawyer for over a decade. And of course, since this is the path in the practice, we walk through her path to law. She shares about growing up in Las Vegas, Nevada, her path to Georgetown for undergrad, and her decision to go to GW for law school. But then she talks about how and why she pivoted into professional coaching. It is amazing to hear her reflect on the path and the characteristics that caused her to be attracted to this role and to ultimately end up at the firm. Additionally, we talk a lot about attorney performance. So while I hope you leave this podcast with a new and maybe open mind to working with a professional coach, I also hope you benefit from some of the things we discuss about how lawyers will frequently stand in their own way. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Anjali, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Alexis. Thank you so much for having me as a guest on your show. I'm extremely excited to have you here today. And let's start by having you give your professional introduction. So I am the attorney coach here at Foley and Lardner on the legal talent and development team. I started less than a year ago, so it's a very new role. And prior to that, I was a practicing attorney. It's funny. We started at Foley maybe month apart, I want to say. A week apart. A week apart. Oh my gosh. And part of my week was Thanksgiving. So I would say a few days apart. (laughs) Start at the same time. But the reason I have you here is actually because of your role at Foley as an attorney, what I'll call an attorney executive coach, which I think is not super common. But before we talk about the what and the why of that, I want to talk about you. And I have to, it's the path and the practice. We have to talk about your path. (laughs) So let's start at the beginning. Okay. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Okay. So I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada. And it's a small town, big city, I like to say. And so I was there till 17. And then I came to Washington, D.C., which I'm still in Washington, D.C. I've never left since since high school or coming here. Well, and we have to talk a bit about growing up in Las Vegas. What is that like? Just tell me more. Yeah, I figured. I figured. Like I said, very small town, maybe not so much now, but back in the 80s, it was a much smaller town than it is now. And But the big city, right? The Las Vegas Strip and things like that. And I, I definitely remember that my parents probably authored the term staycation when it wasn't a term because we definitely, for one of our holiday Christmas holiday vacations, went to the Mirage Hotel and stayed there for three days as our mini vacation. (laughs) And no joke, we decided that, hey, can we go home like in the middle of our staycation at the Mirage Hotel? So 
Okay, so people who live in Vegas, or at least who grew up in Vegas, you actually do go to the Strip sometimes, though? Because I was wondering if it was one of those, like, oh, that's for tourists, or do you actually... I don't know, see shows or whatever. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely so there are a lot of restaurants. Now there are a lot of restaurants and and all this entertainment, which growing up, maybe not necessarily not 21 years old, so you're not going to do all of those things. But definitely when anyone came to visit, it was let's go down to the strip and can we go to Grand Canyon, which is in Arizona, but it's fair. There are a lot of trips. If you've been to Las Vegas, there are a lot of excursions to get out to Hoover the Grand Dam. Canyon and Hoover Dam. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. I will get off of talking to you about <laughs> Las Vegas, but I had to ask. Okay. So like me though, you are a former lawyer. Yes. Know, some might call it a recovering lawyer. So I want to talk a little bit about that path. You know, what took you to law school? And even before we get there, As a child, did you know that you were considering that or what were your interests like, you know, kind of like middle school, high school? So as a child, I think my interests were very different than than what I ended up doing as going to school for. I wanted to be, I think, like a fiction writer, a poet, something very creative and I think my professional choices, maybe like a lot of people or maybe not so much where your parents are immigrants. So my parents were immigrants from India. And so I was first generation. So I think a lot of my early career choices were shaped by my parents' experiences and their culture. And so growing up, they definitely instilled, you know, working hard, the the hard work ethic, but really a lot of the choices revolved around being a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. So, and my parents were doctors and our, a lot of people in our family were doctors. So I remember a seminal experience where I realized I was not going to be a doctor. I, I was a candy striper in the hospital. How old were you then? Uh, 13, 12 or 13 whatever age they allow you to to be one of those. But um, I remember doing that and it was more so how sad I got seeing people hurt and in pain that I just was like, I can't do this forever. And I think at that point, it really comes full circle because it was something where I was kind of told like, oh, you might be too sensitive or you're too empathetic or, you know, you're, you're too sensitive about like, you might not be able to handle that. And so I think at that point I made a decision, well, A, I can't be in science because of I'll be around people that are sick and I, it'll trigger my sensitivities, if you will. And also I wasn't where I didn't like science. I mean, I was in a human anatomy class and I made my lab partner do all the dissections because I hate, I hated science. So the doctor part was ruled out of doctor, lawyer, engineer, just check that off the list. And engineer, I think, I think engineer too, (laughs) too science-based for me. So I think though I made a decision probably early on, like I need to go into a career where my empathy or sensitivities aren't as triggered because that's not, I think in my mind, it was like, well, that's not acceptable in a work environment. This is already getting so good and interesting though, because 
you know, spoiler alert, I think what you do now that yes. empathy and sensitivity <laughs> is your superpower, exactly. but okay, we, we'll talk about that more in a bit. All right. Just take me through then. Walk through, you go to college, you go to law school. Tell me a bit about both of those. So college, I decided to come to Washington, D.C., go to Georgetown, the School of Foreign Service. So I was very, so I didn't like science, but I really loved history and English and, you know, what you would call the liberal arts and the international relations piece. So I really wanted to do the School of Foreign Service. And so I did that for four years and I really recognized, and again, all in the background is like, what is an acceptable career and what is not in kind of the cultural realm that I grew up in and the family realm that I grew up in. And so my interests were somewhat dictated by that, but I really enjoyed my economics classes and my government classes. And I really found that the curriculum I had going through the School of Foreign Service really led me to like, well, what's the intersection of those things is really the law. And so then I decided to go to law school. I'm one of those people that went straight through to law, from college to law school. And so in law school, again, my choice is dictated by this, like, I can't have my sensitivities triggered because then I won't be effective as a person. So I don't think I can do litigation because that's, you know you sometimes get into situations where I could get emotional. Yeah, exactly. I could get emotional because I could feel too much. And by the way, where did you go to law school? Oh, in Washington, DC, I went to GW law school. Okay. And so I think you'll love this, that I thought I wanted to go into tax law because that was the least emotional (laughs) of choices. And so I took literally like almost every tax class in law school. This is a lot for me right now, Angelica, the <laughs> pattern of like, I'm trying, like you knew what, who, how you were wired, but you were trying to almost stay away from things that would trip your natural wiring or tendency, which is now what you stand in every day. But anyway, keep yeah. going. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I decided, oh, I want to do tax law, whatever, but I summered at the law firm I was at. And their corporate and securities group kind of pulled me away. They're like, oh, no, you don't want to do tax. Like, come do corporate law with us. So I ended up doing that because I was like, oh, you know, that can't be that emotional to do corporate and securities law. It's still pretty rules based. And, you know, and I don't know that I was ever thinking of this consciously, but I think unconsciously it was driving my behavior. You've said so many things that in any other podcast, I would pause you and have so many follow-up questions, but I am saving time because we are going to talk about attorney coaching, but just know (laughs) a number of things you've said. I was like, I could talk about that for much longer, but keep going. Okay. So, because the thing is you practiced for how many years total did you practice between in-house and at a law firm? Yeah. So you practiced for, for 12 years. And so, I mean, I could do the typical path in the practice podcast with you and we could never talk about coaching at all and call it a day, but I'm not going to do that. We have to talk about your day job at Foley and Lardner, but do tell me, so you, and I mean, I'm going to just recap a bit. You go to college at Georgetown, law school, GW, law firm for how long? So I was an associate for five years there. And what really led me to wanting to go in-house was that I really enjoyed talking to my clients. So I was a corporate and securities attorney, so did M&A transactions and securities compliance and offerings work. So 
I would end up talking to a lot of the non-legal people inside of the companies that were our clients. And I really enjoyed that process and just getting to know these people that were in other parts of the business, which is what really led me to want to find a position in-house. And so that that's what I did. I went in-house as a, a corporate and securities attorney, but then it was a really small legal department. So I did a whole bunch of other things at a publicly traded mid-sized financial institution in DC. All right. So I think you've done a really great summary. We have fast forwarded through, oh, I don't know, your your entire life up until you leaving practice <laughs> and joining Foley and Lardner. And yes, there are so many places that are just ripe for follow-up, but I am I am not gonna do that. I want to talk a little bit about the decision to leave practice to become what at Foley is an attorney coach. I think to some, maybe the term executive coach would also ring a bell. And we're gonna unpack what that means. But, but if you could share with me a bit about that decision to leave practice and now, you know, do what you do now. Yeah, sure. So I end up never saying I'm a recovering lawyer because I actually really loved being a lawyer. And so this was not because I hated practicing law or just, you know, got tired of it. It was more that something else was calling to me a bit more stronger than practicing law. I love that, by the way. That is so great. I should have, I'm, I'm going to say that from now on, by the way, when people ask me. <laughs> it's not that I hated what I was doing before, but something else was, was I was being pulled by something stronger. Yes, go on. Yeah, no, I, I really did enjoy the legal practice. And one of the seminal experiences I had while I was in-house, because I was in such a small legal department, I worked pretty much daily with the executive team and the board of directors at our company. And I ended up having a lot of conversations with them that were not necessarily legal advice. And it was more about how they were showing up in the organization and the effects of leadership in the organization. And then at one point, I was appointed by the board to help with our CEO search. And so this is where some of your background might come in because I was, you know, corresponding with the recruiting firm all the time on candidate profiles for the CEO to help, you know, show the board. And that's where I realized like, wow, all of these profiles, there are so many different leadership competencies and how each of these types of candidates could affect the organization and the trajectory. And so it was really, and they did all these assessments and, you know, had the executive coaches at the recruiting firms talking about it. So I just got very interested in how people, how they show up affects what they do and then has an organizational impact. And so that's really what drove the interest. And at the same time, I was doing a leadership academy for in-house counsel in in the region, and we each got our own executive coach, and, and the trainings were led by executive coaches, and that really showed me, wow, like, I had never had that as part of my legal upbringing, if you will, and so it really showed me, wow, this isn't just for the C-level, C-suite level, it's it could be for everyone, including attorneys, and it's really impactful because we're all trying to we're all trying to perform at a level that we want to perform at. We're all trying to do the best that we can. And it it just really showed me that the support of someone like a coach could really help me do that. 
Wow, that's amazing. And we've talked about this quite a bit, but I didn't I hadn't realized that you'd had the opportunity to work with a coach while you were still practicing. That's actually a bit of a missing link for me within your within your story. Yeah. And I think we'll probably come back to that a bit as we continue talking. But so you have this experience, you're exposed to all of these things. At some point, as you said, that was calling you more. And so you leave practice and then was the next stop the Georgetown program or could you tell me more about that transition? Yeah, sure. So I I didn't re- this is this I wouldn't advise people but I really didn't have necessarily a huge plan. I just knew that I wanted to do this training leap and the net will appear, okay? Right. There- yeah, and and I will say though, I will say though, a few years prior to me actually making the leap, I had seen I'm not sure if you're familiar with the show Billions. They have a what they call a performance coach in that show. And I just was like, why don't law firms have this? Like law firms should have something like this. Like what if I had had that when I was at a law firm? And so I will say in the back of my mind, I had always been thinking like, that would be so awesome, but I'm not sure this like really exists very much in law firms. So I will say I leapt with faith and I manifested what I wanted to do in a way. So I feel like the Foley position is a manifestation of it. I completely agree. But talk a little bit about the certification you received and the program you attended, because I don't know if people are even, and I actually, you know, maybe at this point we should even back up and we can say what coaching is or happy to take it in what order, but I think it's important to talk a bit about, you know, what, what you did to become a coach. Yeah. Yeah. And so I will say before I went through robust coach training program at Georgetown's Institute for Transformational Leadership, I don't even think I knew what coaching really was until I went through the program and realized, oh, there, there is a method to this madness. It's, it's not giving advice to people at all. And that's probably the biggest misconception about executive coaching is that, oh, you have someone that's just going to give you advice and tell you what you should be doing. And that has actually not been seen now backed by science as the best way to get people to learn and change. And so I would say that coaching truly the heart of coaching is about helping set, helping someone set a vision for themselves and helping them to achieve that vision that they have set for themselves through a process of incremental change. All right. And now t- I've heard you do this talk before. You have to do the elaboration where you say, which is different from therapy and oh. different from, <laughs> please expand. Oh, right. So I, I always tell people also that coaching is not therapy, right? Therapy is focused on healing your past so you can be okay in the present. And I like to think about coaching as very future and action oriented. So it's about, we don't really get into too much of the, your past and, and how it, I mean, there is some of that, obviously, but it's more about where do you want to go and how do you want to get there? And so it's it's about empowering someone as opposed to healing them, which both are very valid things that people need, but coaching is really more focused on the empowerment piece. 
And then to make sure we're very clear, and I think we are, but just to be crystal clear, you are the in-house attorney coach at Foley and Lardner, meaning you provide this attorney coach or you know executive coach function to the lawyers as, as a resource. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about, about what the program is at Foley and how that works. Sure. And I, I will say that I really appreciate Foley's approach to talent development. I really think it's it's very integrated and a holistic approach. And so attorney coaching is really a piece of that. Your function, DNI, is very much a piece of that. Recruiting and professional development. And I I would like to think that Foley is very progressive in actually bringing in an in-house executive coach because I, as I've canvassed other law firms, I don't necessarily think this is a huge or a common. It's not an industry standard by any means. And I, and what I think it can easily be confused with actually is like a career coach in the sense that you are seeing some firms in the industry having more active counseling, you know, with the recognition that, you know, you're pro- not everyone's going to work here forever. And if not, like we have resources to help you with that, but this is not that this is different. This is, and this is, you know, you can pick up and expand, but that, that I think it's true. I'm not aware of many law firms with this resource, but a lot of large corporations do have this. So if you could also say a couple words about that, that'd be great too. Yeah. So what I have wanted to do here at Foley is build a program that is very much based in in kind of the learning and development function that's in companies because those are very now getting to be much more standardized and it's starting to move over to professional uh, services firms like the big four accounting firms and things like that. And so law firms are the next on the frontier, but what traditional corporations might have in place already is team of coaches, right? They have teams of coaches that coach from every level, coach at every level of the organization. So it's really, coaching is becoming much more accessible to everyone and not just the top leaders of a company or firm or or whatever, you know, organization it would be. And so that's really been my model in, in building the coaching function out here at Foley, it's available to attorneys at all levels. And I would say that while there are differences in the situations that attorneys might have or different decisions that they have to make at different different transition points, the core of the coaching process remains the same. And so my coaching philosophy, if if you would like to hear it, what my coaching philosophy. Of course I do. <laughs> You've heard this probably in some variation before, but it's come out of sports coaching actually, but it's a very simple formula. Performance equals potential minus interference. And that I find to be truly the heart of coaching because like I said, we're all trying to up-level our performance and untap our potential, but we've got some interference in the way. And so I'm not talking about the sports coaches that tell you like hit the ball this way and and do this or that right that the sports coaching world also now has the mental conditioning coaches which really help with you know visualizing optimal performance dealing with 
the fear of failure and, and things that are happening in your inner world as you're trying to perform. We have to unpack this now. This is exciting. Okay, so you said performance equals potential minus interference. Give me some examples of that as it applies to a lawyer. So I can think of what that interference or maybe resistance, whatever you want to call it is, but talk talk to me more. Tell me more about how you see that that manifest or how that formula applies. Yeah. And so one thing I see in attorneys sometimes we can be and I still say we as if I'm still a practicing attorney. Because we are. Attorney, I'm still licensed. I don't know if you are. <laughs> I am still licensed as well. I will never let those licenses go. <laughs> But as attorneys, we can sometimes be, well, we're trained to be very critical, right? Critical thinking is the top thing you should know how to do as an attorney. And yet sometimes that critical thinking doesn't turn off when we look at ourselves. And so then we become our own critic. And so when we criticize ourselves, right, we haven't turned off that muscle. We've become so great at our day jobs that we're now turning it on ourselves. And so there is a lot of that interference about, oh, am I good enough? Or, oh, that person might be doing something so much better than I am, or I don't know how to do this. Like, does that, how's that going to affect now your external performance, right? If you're, if you're walking around with that mindset, then how is that going to affect what you're able to do and achieve in your external world? And so it's really about focusing on what is that interference and how do we work through that interference so that you are actually unleashing your potential to perform at the best that you want to. And therefore not standing in the way of it, as you said that. And I think I'd heard this somewhere else. And I actually shared the analogy on another podcast. Oh my gosh, what's it? It's like the I'm gonna call it the mindful attorney with Gina Cho, but that's not that's not the right title. But this idea that that, like you said, that critical nature, this thing we work to hone, in some ways it's a it can be like a knife without a handle on it. And so it's important that you have that edge and that you can use it, particularly you know, for in professional circumstances. But when you don't have a handle on it, it can often mean you're cutting yourself. And so to become intentional about where that applies, where it doesn't. And I, I mean, a lot of what you're saying actually sounds like working on that inner critic, that voice, I guess. Yeah. And that's that's just one iteration of our interference, right? Yeah. So talking critically to ourselves and there are other other things that can get in the way like but that we allow ourselves to get in the way of our own performance and success because we are walking around believing things that might not necessarily be true but it's affecting how we show up in in the world absolutely I also once said, and this is just me just trying to make affirm my thoughts. So maybe you'll agree with me, maybe you won't. But a couple of years ago, I really did start thinking about lawyers, particularly big firm lawyers, and their similarities to athletes, which I know you mentioned coaching coming out of that. I think the tennis in particular, I think there's an example you you've and that's the where the formula comes from is Tim Galway. He was a tennis coach 
at one time where he came up with this and he recognized what was happening in his tennis players' heads was really affecting how they were playing. So he came up with that and has since gone on to now become a full-time executive corporate coach that teaches this in the corporate setting. Well, and I think that's so, that's really interesting, that connection there, because, and I think, you know, a lot of lawyers would be like, okay, whatever, I have to bill hours, you know, I'm not, I'm not an athlete, like, what are you talking about? But I think, and I'm sure you can elaborate on this even more, but I think if you really sat down and considered all of the things, like whether it be billable hours, family requirements, you know, community engagements, whatever, it's actually a lot that is required of you. and so to view yourself as, you know, something, something worth optimizing (laughs) so that you can meet all of those requirements, I think is a really a good mindset to have. But I think very frequently we're just like, no, I mean, I, I should be able to figure all this out on my own. Like, why would I, I'm not CEO of a fortune 500. Like, why would I need that service? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that you just said was like very important of the I can figure this out on my own, right? And I think that attorneys particularly are sought out because they know how to figure things out. And so that's in and of itself some interference, right? I should know how to figure this out. And because I don't, it's going to, you know, it affects people when they think, oh, I don't know how to figure this out. What does that mean about me? Because I should know oh, well, because I can't figure it out, I I don't want to look stupid. So I'm not going to ask that question that really needs to be asked. And because I didn't ask that question that really needed to be asked, now I'm not seen as, you know, curious or engaged in the work I'm doing. There's all sorts of effects, right, that come out of, oh, I don't, I should know what I'm doing, but I don't. That thought process. Yes, absolutely. I wanted to cover a couple more things in our, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes that we have remaining. And the first is for the Foley attorneys that are listening. If I'm an attorney at Foley and I reach out to you, what is that process? What can I expect when we meet? Sure. So I offer two coaching services at Foley. So one is micro coaching services, which is really on the spot coaching. So say you have something immediate or pressing that you need to talk to me about. So for example, evaluations might be coming up and you want to think about how you're going to convey your accomplishments in the evaluation process or your oral evaluation meeting is coming up. So you might just say, I just need one session to talk this through and think about it with someone and have a strategic thought partner with me to help me through this. And so you might do it for something like that. Or you might have just had a very difficult conversation with someone, or you might be going to have a difficult conversation with someone and you want to think through that. Or there, you know, during, we launched coaching actually right at the start of the pandemic. And so a lot of the micro coaching services came out of that, right? So really on the spot, what do you need right now? What do you, what's going on for you right now? So a lot of that was about, well, I need to figure out how I'm going to work from home or my productivity is being affected. How can I create a system for myself? You know, and so we would talk through that. And it's the great thing about coaching. It's not a how to exercise, 
right? I'm not saying here are all your best practices that you should go implement. It's really about what does your life look like and who are you? And you might not be able to, I wake up very early in the morning. I realize that you probably couldn't do that, right? Just by virtue of not you, Alexis, but a client, because I know you wake up very early in the morning, (laughs) but a client. And so it's really about understanding the person as a whole being and not kind of saying, okay, you guys are all the same. And so you should do X, Y, Z. So, so to put that another way and make it very clear, if I'm a Foley attorney and reach out to you and let's say I'm focused on business development, you're not just going to give me the PDF or the brochure of the six handy tips to business development. And then I go about my way. Nope. Nope. And that, that does bring me to the second, second service that we offer though, is the longer term structured coaching engagement. So that is for longer term business, uh, longer term professional goals. So business development being one of them, you know, help with kind of structuring a business development approach that actually fits with who you are, as opposed to, Hey, go out and write seven articles and, you know, call it a day. And so it's, Things like that, you know, if people are looking to figure out what's next for their career or how they want to promote their candidacy to advance to the next level. So one one big part of executive coaching or the foundation of it is the concept of what got you here won't get you there, right? And so a lot of people are finding themselves in new roles or wanting to be in new roles, but not necessarily realizing, hey, all the things that made me successful up to this point aren't necessarily the things that are going to make me successful for this new role. And so I think there can be a lot of coaching around that. Well, and that's really profound because when you said what got you here won't necessarily get you there, that kind of hit me where I was like, man, (laughs) because I think that's actually something a lot of us need to hear because we're like, I can just keep doing the same thing over again, even if I'm expecting different results. Exactly. And the answer is you can. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to ask also, and this isn't so much anymore for just the Foley, the Foley attorneys, but the, we are getting some law students and you know lawyers from outside Foley listening as well. Okay. So now I know there's attorney coaches. Like I, I really may, may not have occurred to me. And I think I'm actually somebody who technically knew you could, could find a professional coach, but for a long time really did consider that to be back to what you said, like an elite thing. I'm the president of a large company and you are an in-house resource at Foley, but if, and I think there's even room for coaching, even frankly, if you're a law student and just need to, you know, kind of be a different style of coach, but how would I know if I would benefit from coaching or is this one of those things that technically everybody would benefit from? You know my answer here, Alexis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remain. I'm trying not to be too leading. I'm trying to let you. Right. Well, I do believe that executive coaching would be helpful for anyone trying to get to whatever their next level is. Right. It's a coaching. Truly, fundamentally, is about change. You're in a current state, and you want to, you know, go somewhere else. And so it's really about that process of change. And and one thing out in the, you know, behavioral science world is technical versus adaptive change. So technical change is really, you know, building your skill set 
and then going out and acting on your skill set. All the technical substantive stuff, which law, law students and lawyers are great at building their technical knowledge and adapting to technical change. The other side of change is adaptive change or behavioral change. And as I mentioned, what got you here won't get you there. That concept is really about how do you adapt yourself to a constantly changing world by behaving in different ways. And we all know based on science that for humans to change in an adaptive way is very difficult. I'm thinking of two things as you speak. One, initially, because we started around the same time, we started in these roles at a law firm and the pandemic hits. And for you, right when you were supposed to launch in March was like, right when, but then I keep thinking right now, in many ways, the timing of you joining Foley and the resource you're able to provide is actually quite perfect. And then I was also thinking about how this adaptive change, and I mean, I think you're also talking to like a emotional regulation to some extent, is something that we really struggle with as a profession. Yes. Like I think there's some tendencies that draw someone to being a lawyer and maybe we could circle back to you, try to, you know, turn off your, your uh, empathetic or sensitive side that make it so that we, you were talking about the exact thing that most attorneys do not want to deal with. Right. Exactly. And so the other thing though, is that the constant is change right? there, That is a constant. So whether you adapt to it or not, things will be changing. And so the point of this is really to say that if your behaviors currently are not serving where you want to go, if you're not getting the results that you want to get, or if you think you want better results and, and things like that, there might be a chance that you have to make an adaptive change. And so that is the the part of coaching that's really interesting for me because it's now starting to get backed by neuroscience. And so the process of coaching also follows along with the process of adult learning. And this is now being backed by neuroscience. So what happens essentially when we're learning, we have a concrete action in the world or a concrete experience. And then you know, for us to learn, we have to integrate that experience. How do we integrate that experience? We reflect on it, right? And once we, and we sleep, sleep yes, helps we too. Sleep, we sleep, we hydrate, we take care of ourselves and we reflect on the concrete experience we've had. And then we decide, hey, what are my options now moving forward based on any insight I generated from that reflective inquiry process? And then we say, oh, well, now these are my options. Now this is the plan I'm going to develop to move forward. And then you take action again. And that is the process of adult learning. And that is also the way that coaching works, right? It gives you a safe space to reflect and inquire as to what you've learned and any insights you've you've generated so that you can move forward to get those results you want. I'm curious, within that process, and I have my guesses, where do you find that attorneys most get stuck? And my guess is that we may not build that space at all for the integration or reflection, but I don't know. You tell me. 
I would, without having studied it formally, mm-hmm. done any formal studies on attorneys, I just, but from anecdotal evidence, I do think that that's, that's why attorneys can use this, right? It, it gives them a formalized, structured way to reflect on something so that they can take action now towards generating what they want. So if that means, hey, I realize that my timekeeping and productivity habits are horrible, my time management habits are horrible, then it's like, well, let's talk about it. Let's see who you are. Let's see what you're doing. Let's reflect on it. And that process of reflection is, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how these things were connected. And now I can start doing X, Y, Z to better my time habits. And this is a very simple example that I'm giving mm-hmm. you, but to break it down and explain it in a simple way. But it, it was that process of reflecting on it that you're generating someone's insight. And that's why I, I like coaching because it's, it's really empowering someone. And if, if you're trying, if someone is trying to change, they have to feel empowered to do it. They can't be told to do it. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. And so we've talked a lot about this and there's so many ways in which, you know, our interests and even what we do organizationally align. But as we wrap up, one question I have before I see if you have any just additional reflections or things you'd like to share is what something I think is fantastic is how we're both very focused on this alignment between values and actions. And so I tend to be more focused on that in a institute from an institutional standpoint, like what are the values of this organization? And, you know, are our actions or results in alignment with those? And I don't know, I just want to hear you riff on that because it's one of my favorite topics. (laughs) So talk about how you work with people in that way. Yeah, no. And I love, you're bringing me back to a few conversations we've had, which I've really enjoyed because it's, it's really, again, goes to show the holistic approach to talent development, I think, that we have going here at Foley, where I do really see your role as like a human behavior type of role. And I see that from my, my perspective of my role as well. And what I see for you is you do that from an organizational top-down way. And I love that, right? You you affect so many people in that organizational way. And what I, I love is that I'm coming from the bottom-up approach. So somehow we're going to go full circle and really provide that holistic approach where I'm dealing with indiv- on an individual basis. And so making change on that individual basis, you're making change from the organizational basis. And to me, that's just like one big, great, amazing ball of change. (laughs) No, it's fantastic. And also, I love that it's applicable in so many contexts, because with the work you do and the work I do, that foundational of like, okay, what's your value? What are your values? What do you really care about? Who are you? are you acting in accordance or in alignment with those? And that is something that I don't see how as a human, you can kind of opt out of that and be like, no, it doesn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. You're right. And like, again, I think you, you see that from the organizational standpoint, right? How do we as an organization want to live according to the values that we've set forward? And those values generally, I would think align on the individual level too. 
Absolutely. And so that's where I'm working. So really it's, it's helping people individually identify what their values even are and are they living according to them and, and in giving people those individual insights, hopefully it, it ripples to broader parts of the organization, but then there you are bringing the ripple back down. And that's what I love about it. Yes. Well, in case anybody was curious what an uh, attorney coach and a DNI professional talk about, it's this. <laughs> this is what our yes. conversations are like. <laughs> but, but as we wrap this up, I did just want to take a moment, moment, Anjali, to see if you had any other final things you just wanted people to know about attorney coaching that you'd like to share in our last couple of minutes together. Um, sure. So I would say that it Coaching is generally, what I love about it is that it allows you to create the future that you want. And so, and I love that because I do have an Eastern background, living in a Western world, I love that coaching actually embodies the philosophies of both in in the sense that I think, I believe it was the Buddha that said, what you think you become, what you feel you attract, what you imagine you create. And now there is neuroscience backing of the coaching process and why it works, which I talked about earlier. And I just think for myself, just coming full circle back to the empathetic and sensitive nature that I have, and it's a strength and it allows people to be who they are in a safe space. And I think that's what what lawyers truly need. Yes, absolutely. And from a DNI perspective, that's all I want for you is to be able to be who you are, where you work. All right. There's no better note to stop on than that right there. So thank you so much, Anjali. And I will just say for the Foley lawyers listening, please reach out to Anjali. Obviously, she's a fantastic resource. To all the other lawyers listening, advocate so you can get your own in-house Anjali as well. (laughs) But with that, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Alexis. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.